from mood and fitness to sexual function and reproduction. Hormones affect every woman from the moment we enter a reproductive age. In this episode, Dr. Estima tells us about the Estima Diet, a revolutionary protocol designed to sync meals and fitness plans for each woman individually within their fluctuating cycle. We talk about the importance of balancing our hormones to live a healthier and happier life by understanding how our bodies work at different stages of our menstrual cycle and menopausal stage, but most importantly, how to optimize our health via what we eat and how we work out. Hello. Hi, how are you? Hi, I'm good. How are you? I'm so good. Thank you. It's so good to see you. I, I'm uh, a bit nervous, very excited to meet you oh, and very excited to have you here. Thank you so much for, for being here. Oh, I'm so happy. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you for having me. I just introduced you uh, briefly, kind of your, what, what you do um, and what you specialize in, but maybe you can um, explain a little bit about yourself. Uh, sure. Yeah. So um, as you correctly said, uh, trained, uh, if you will, as a, you know, grew up as a doctor of uh, chiropractic, uh, grew up in a very holistic home and went on to do professional schooling uh, to become a chiropractor. Uh, while I was in there, I always had uh, very much a, um, you know, a love for brain metabolism and brain health and how we can sort of optimize function of the brain, even though it's an organ that we don't often you know, really see or really, you know, often care about. We often care about how, like, how we look and what's our skin like and all that. Um, and because, you know, brain health is very much uh, a part, you know, things like exercise and nutrition are very important to that. Um, really, uh, my whole life have really been involved in nutrition and fitness in some way. So those things beautifully came together. Um, and then I, um, uh, and then I, uh, after about 16 years, let's say, in, uh, I was 16 years in private practice, uh, decided to uh, close the clinic, but then move online and serve um, practitioners and uh, women in a, in a bigger way. So that's what I do now. So I'm a coach to uh, okay. other doctors, so uh, other MDs, DCs, uh, you know, uh, physical therapists, etc., uh, osteopaths, and I teach them about female physiology and how we're actually very different um, then our male counterparts and some of the protocols that we um, that we might consider as clinicians to mm -hmm. help uh, to help augment our patient success. And then I still, of course, have nutrition programs for, uh, you know, anybody who ever wants to, uh, you know, purchase them. We have them and we run them. We're very active in them and I'm very proud of them as well. And they're like female centric uh, ketogenic. Uh, diets, as well as uh, a program that helps you uh, uh, sync your menstrual cycle to the way mm -hmm. um, that you eat. So that's, um, yeah, that's, that's me in kind of a nutshell. <laughs> is that, is that what, what uh, on your website, what you have, um, the Estima diet? Correct. That's kind yeah. of what it consists on. Yeah, that's okay. right. So the Estima diet is, or Estima diet, however you want to say it. Um, the Estima diet is basically a, there's two phases to it. There's like this female-centric ketogenic piece to it, which is the phase one. And then phase two is when we start saying, okay, so now you're metabolically flexible. Now let's think about your menstrual cycle. And now how can we eat to match the hormonal environment 
that we as women are, because we're ever changing, right? So every single day, really every mm -hmm. single day, but really week to week, we see very different hormonal profiles in a woman who's in her reproductive years. Um, and we, uh, and so we, we change the way that we eat, we change the way that we uh, work out and we train and the mm -hmm. types of cardio that we do, and then prioritizing rest and recovery because women are not, you know, as I mentioned, we're not like kind of smaller archetypes of men with peskier hormones. <laughs> we just, uh, yeah. we, we're just, we're just different. So we need to be able to behave mm -hmm. and, and appropriately adapt to our, our environment. Right, right. It's, it's like a never-ending cycle, right? Because the, the better we eat, the better we feed ourselves, the better we can control and manage those hormones. So talking about the, I know understand that you talk about the whole hormonal landscape, meaning not only when women are, are at a reproductive age and when they do have their menstrual cycle, but you also um, treat a lot of women with, with menopause and the whole hormonal landscape. But That's maybe right. this kind of maybe... Um, Start from the beginning and uh, for people who are here who don't understand how, how food relates to, to hormones and how uh, they're connected, kind of what, what are hormones exactly, what do they control, but also what do they affect? Yeah, I mean, hormones are everything. <laughs> they're, they're how we feel, they're how we sleep, they're how we partition fuel, um, they're how we recover, they're how we grow muscle. Like, it's, it, they are really involved in absolutely um, everything. So for someone who's never really considered hormones um, before, we want to be thinking about, as, as women, we want to be thinking about how we can be optimizing our um, Uh, our our menstrual cycle for so so we'll talk about women who are in their reproductive years first and then I can talk about menopausal women as well because that's often a forgotten cohort as well and we love our menopausal women we want to help them too uh, but for many women we had sort of like one you know, or two awkward days in biology in high school where we learned about the menstrual cycle, but that was kind of it, right? Like there was no other, nothing else was really triangulated with this menstrual cycle that we had. We all, I mean, at least I grew up thinking that like, if anyone ever knew that I was on my bleed week, like that would be the worst thing ever, right? So we never, we, there's a lot of shame and there's a lot of guilt. There's like, you know, just words that would describe like females, um, you know, that female reproductive system that are, you know, we'll say less than polite. Um, and so I think that a, m many women really grew up with a lot of shame and guilt and lack of understanding of how our reproductive cycle specifically uh, with our sex hormones, like our testosterones, our estrogens, our progesterone, et cetera, how those can impact our mood, our sleep, uh, you know, how those can impact appetite. And so what I'm trying to uh, really put forth out into the world is that when we are eating, let's say, uh, for example, uh, many women, uh, one of the most common things that we see uh, in terms of hormonal uh, dysfunction, let's say, uh, is something called PCOS or polycystic ovarian syndrome. And that's characterized by excess androgens or, you know, put simply like excess testosterones. So we have too much testosterone in the female body. It's either being converted to uh, something called dihydrotestosterone, which is like super testosterone, which is like six or seven times more potent than regular old, you know, regular old, you know, run of the mill testosterone, or she's not converting testosterone to estrogen. So without kind of getting too nerdy and like into the weeds around why that may happen, there's like genetic components. Um, but a lot of women with PCOS, what we do see quite consistently is that there is a dysfunction in the, the foods that they are often hyperinsulinemic, meaning that 
the, a hormone called insulin, which is uh, released by the, you know, an area of the beta cells of the pancreas um, in response to carbohydrates uh, and, and, and also like to a lesser degree uh, amino acids as well. Um, you'll have insulin that's relatively, uh, relatively high, right? And so that will also, imp like, so having too much insulin around will affect, directly affect how much testosterone um, you have. So um, when we eat foods, we are absolutely directly in some cases affecting the way that our, how much hormone, let's, in this case, we're talking about testosterone, how much testosterone we might have. Another really common uh, example that most, if there's, you know, women here that are, um, uh, that can, you know, relate to this, it's like something that we call estrogen dominance. Now, truly what we're talking, when we say estrogen dominance, it's too much estrogen, but it's too much estrogen in a, a specific time of her menstrual cycle, which is usually after she's ovulated, which is called the luteal phase uh, of her cycle. But we can modulate that. We can actually bring those estrogen levels down through foods that we eat. So for example, when you are consuming uh, foods that are rich in uh, something called diindolmethane or DIM, which is also a supplement, uh, like green leafy vegetables, let's say. So things like the Brussels sprouts and, uh, you know, the kale and the spinach and the bok choy and the arugula, all that stuff. When you're consuming a lot of those green leafy vegetables, you are going to, because they contain DIM, be able to reduce the total amount of estrogens that you have. So that's reducing that estrogen dominance if that's an issue. And then the other kind of bonus to that, and I'll just be like super nerdy for a second and then I'll stop, is that you, there's also in these sort of, specifically in the green leafy vegetables that have a lot of sulfur or like sulfur contain, like it's called sulforaphane, uh, which is mm -hmm. like kind of smells like almost like rotten eggs. Like if you leave your broccoli in the fridge for too long, it starts to kind of have that like you know, rotten egg kind of smell. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, that compound, that sulforaphane, is also going to help metabolize the estrogen better. So estrogen has like a couple of different pathways that it can go down. And when you are consuming sulforaphane-rich uh, foods like green leafy vegetables, then of course you are now going to be optimizing that estrogen metabolism. So those are like two really common things that I see okay. most often where we have women that are I, either there's too much testosterone, like they're hyper uh, androgenergic or they're hyper estrogenergic. And so we can actually modulate both of those by either in the first case, you know, pulling back down uh, insulin secretion. And we can do that through consuming like, let's say a lower carbohydrate diet. And then on, mm -hmm. on the latter, you know, consuming more green leafy vegetables, which is going to optimize the amount of estrogen and then how estrogen is actually processed by the body too. Right, right. Now, maybe I have a quick question regarding what you just mentioned about the, the leafy vegetables. Is this something that is affected by eating that combined with fats or protein, let's say? Uh, your question, I'm sorry, can you say the question again? I don't think I quite yeah, got it. No worries. Like, for example, let's say that I want to, I have this problem and I want to lower the, my estrogen levels by eating Brussels sprouts or by eating one of these sticky greens. Right. Would that be affected? Like when you mentioned that, would that be just the Brussels sprouts or what if I have like Brussels sprouts with cheese? And this is something related to food, maybe not, not that much, but is it affected when you combine two different types of like the, the vegetables and fats or protein? Yeah, this is, a, this is a good question. I'm glad you asked it. So it's really, 
the it's the compounds that are there within the greens that are making that difference in terms of like how the estrogen is metabolized and how much estrogen we have. Now, what you did bring up is something that I think is really, uh, really uh, uh, intelligent, which is to say that the uh, nutrient composition of the diet and even the timing and the food combining that we do can also have really big effects on our hormones. So for example, um, and I, I learned this from my kids. So I have, um, I have like an 11 year old and an almost, almost 10 year old now, I'm gonna, so like 11 and nine right now. And I would notice that when I would just give them, let's say their food, which would have, you know, let's say some meat, some avocados, let's say, and then maybe some rice, they would just always go to the carbohydrates first and then they would fill up and then they wouldn't have their fats, they wouldn't have their proteins. And so I started giving them proteins and fats first and then only once they finished their meat, let's say, or their avocados or whatever the fat was that I was giving them, like the nuts or whatever, um, then they could have the pasta, the rice, the potatoes, the whatever. So the nutrient timing um, of, so the order of your macros that you eat also does have an effect on how much glucose and how much insulin uh, you will secrete. So if you can eat your proteins and your fats first, and then your carbohydrates, let's say second or third, like it's the last thing that you have, mm -hmm. the amount of uh, what we call postprandial or after the meal, uh, postprandial glucose is actually gonna be much lower than if you had, let's say the rice first, and then you had you know, the avocado and then the, and then the, and then the meat. So we can also manipulate actually how much, um, insulin is go like how much we, uh, need to respond to the amount of glucose that we have by mm -hmm. the order of the foods in which we are consuming them. So, um, yeah, very astute observation. So that, that is also another way okay. through our nutrition that we can actually influence our hormones as well. Okay. And then jumping back into the the hormone converse, the hormone conversation, um, it's very it's 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 a topic that of course is, is very hot right now, and everybody's talking about hormonal stability. And of course, it's very nice to to see it in a day to day basis. However, um, could we maybe dive a little bit into the benefits, short term and long term, of of being hormonally stable, but also what would happen if let's say one day you eat something that kind of knocks you out of that hormone stability or hormonal balance. Yeah. So I think if you, you know, we, we all have this, right. We all have a wedding or we all, you know, go out for drinks and have wine or whatever. Um, part of my philosophy around health is that there's, there's a lot of benefit in like creating health, but then at some point, kind of like a bank account, it's kind of fun to spend it, right? So, you know, there's days where I am, you know, either uh, it's like, it's, you know, here it's Friday uh, right now uh, where we are. I know some, some places, some people tuning in, it's already Saturday, uh, especially in like Oceania and Australia and stuff. But um, Friday night, like I'm going to go out tonight. I have um, some friends that we're meeting. I'm going to have a glass of wine, you know, and it's, not the best thing for me, 100%, like I get it. However, I am on point like 80 to 95% of the time, 
right? Um, so I do think that there's some, it's nice to be flexible in our thinking. I think that what, especially as women, we can get very rigid, like I'm going to fast and I'm only going to do it for 16. I'm going to do 16, eight. And that's the only way that I'm going to do it. And if I do anything less than that, I failed. Like we kind of get into this very rigid, very narrow definition of what health is. Um, you know, to your, you, ha you asked me, you know, if I'm off, like, can we, like, if you're off for a day or two days or whatever, uh, does that affect our hormones? Yes, it does. But if you're doing the right thing, like 80 to 90% of the time, it doesn't really matter because you've established a lot of the um, behavioral, um, you know, the behavioral goals that are going to allow you to get right back onto, you know, the bandwagon, if you will, the next day. And hopefully <laughs> in those behaviors that you're not beating yourself up about it. And you're, you say, yeah, you know what, I enjoy that glass of wine with my friends. And now I have some extra glycogen. And now I'm just going to go and squat, you know, <laughs> like now I'm just going to go and do some, you know, some workout, and I'm going to, and I'm going to punch out some personal records on them. So I think that, you know, if you're, if you're not perfect all the time, like, mm -hmm. is that such a big deal? Uh, you know, I don't think so, especially when we, when we want to balance the idea of pleasure and having fun and what food actually represents to most of us, which is, mm -hmm. you know, communal. Like, you know, we break, you know, they're, they're sayings like, we are going to break bread together. Let's go grab a coffee together. Like food is such a... Uh, an integral and intimate part of our experience as humans. We experience it with other people. We experience it in community. We experience it in family. And I think that um, there's there's room for doing right by you. And then there's also room for like having fun. Um, I think that that's also really important as well. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And so uh, following the Estima diet, then what would be the, what are the short-term and the long-term benefits of uh, being hormonally stable? Yeah. Um, well, I think for most women, like the type of woman that typically is attracted to me and my work is someone who's like really driven. She's maybe a type A personality because that's kind of who I am as well. Uh, so she's probably deal and maybe she's in perimenopause, you know, so I kind of like that 35 to like 55 kind of age range. Um, so when you are eating in, a, in alignment with your hormonal, you know, alchemy, let's say, um, you will have better sleep, your focus is going to be better, you're not going to have brain fog. That's like a really big thing, you know, kind of going back to my roots um, with like brain metabolism and my love for neurology and, and functional neurology. That's the big thing that so many women uh complain to me about it. it's like I walk into a room and, and I don't know why I'm here you know or like it's like I where's my phone you know where'd I put my keys you know like we just we have these um these mild let's say cognitive and like these mild temporary transient like why am I here what am I doing in this room again um and I think that when you get when you're eating a higher fat diet at least initially um you can overcome a lot of hormonal derangement that a lot mm -hmm. of women are 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 suffering from we already talked about pcos and estrogen dominance another thing that i didn't mention is a lot of women have something called leptin resistance which is leptin is a hormone it's it makes us feel full uh in my book i said you know leptin helps us put the fork down right so it tells us when we're full um a lot of women actually for whatever reason from the adipose tissue, which is where leptin is secreted up to the appetite regulation centers in the brain, there's like a resistance in those appetite regulation centers to that hormone. So you may have had enough calories, but your brain can't detect it yet. 
Um, so when you are initially consuming a higher fat diet, um, that often helps to overcome that feeling of I'm never full, right? So a lot of women will say like, I don't, I can't diet because I never feel like I'm full. But when you're having a higher fat diet, that's very, very satiating. Of course, fat also has a higher caloric count than protein and carbohydrates at nine uh, kilocals per gram versus like four uh, with protein and, and carbs. So you can mm -hmm. overcome that hormonal uh, problem of always feeling hungry. Um, so that's one thing. Uh, you can go several hours, of course, without eating, which is another big thing. Like I grew up in the era where it was like, eat every two hours to stoke your metabolism, which is like now when you actually think about it, it makes no sense. You know, it's like, if you want to lose weight, just eat every two hours. Yeah. Like, no, that's not how we lose weight. <laughs> you lose weight by eating less, right? So, um, uh, so what was I saying with that? So basically, um, when you are eating a higher fat diet, you can actually go for a longer period of time um, without needing to be fed or like mm -hmm. snacking or grazing on like whatever is kind of around. Yeah. Um, sleep is better, as I mentioned. And then you also are able to, the other piece of this is um, you're able to actually tap into your own fat stores for energy, which is what most people want when they say, I want to lose weight. What they're actually saying is, I want to lose fat. They're not saying, I want to lose brain weight. They're not saying, I want my bones to get lighter. They're not saying, I want to lose muscle because all of those things weigh, you know, those have a weight to them. Yeah. But when we say lose weight, what we're talking about is reducing our adiposity. And when you're having a, when you're doing a ketogenic diet and you have a mild caloric deficit, both of those things together are going to allow for you to use the adipose tissue um, that you have that stored energy because that's what adipose tissue is. It's kind of stored for a rainy day. You're able to use that right now um, for your the you know the energetic needs of the brain and the body. So that's a, that's mm -hmm. you know we see a lot a lot of women come to me for weight loss. A lot of women come to me in perimenopause because they want to reduce the brain fog. You know they'll say I'm eating the same way as I was when I was 25 and I'm 45 now and I just can't seem to. Like my waist keeps growing, I'm putting on weight and I don't know why. Um, so we help to sort of make you feel the way that you once did, you know, uh, through some of these therapeutic interventions. Okay, okay, yeah, very interesting. That's, uh, I, I love the references that you make. Sorry, the book that you were talking about, what's the name of the book? Uh, can you see it? I don't know if you can see it, and, but it's called The Betty Body. So that's, I don't know. Oh, The Betty see. Body. Yeah. Where is my, see I, I see the here. corner of it. Yeah, there's, oh okay. yeah, I don't have it set up for you to see that. It's just me. But um, my, the book is called The Betty Body. Uh, it's by yours truly, by, my, my name is Stephanie Estima, if those of you are just joining in. Uh, and it's basically, uh, it goes through all of the different sort of hormonal, uh, most common hormonal derangements that women who are kind of between the ages of 35 and 55 will encounter. And we talk about nutrition intervention. We talk about fitness as well. That's a really big part of my platform uh, is lifting heavy weights. <clears throat> so when I say fitness, most people say, oh, she's like, you know, she does cardio. And yes, I do some cardio, but for the most part, I'm lifting really heavy weights because uh, mm -hmm. that's another um, really big piece to this sort of perimenopausal puzzle is to be putting on muscle mass to increase your lean right body mass, which of which is included in uh, the muscle mass uh, measurement, because that is going to also help you regulate your hormones, kind of back to the hormonal conversation again, the more muscle you have, 
those are basically glucose disposal agents. They will sop up all of the glucose in the bloodstream for their own use. Um, so the more muscle that you have, the more uh, you know, carbohydrates you can have, uh, but also it helps with your metabolism and your body composition as well. And if, you're, you know, if you've never lifted weights before, uh, a lot of women are really scared. Like I, I also hear like, oh, I don't wanna get bulky. I don't wanna look yeah. like the Hulk. And it's like, I promise you, I promise you, you can't. <laughs> like, mm -hmm. I, it's like 99% of women do not have the genetic phenotype. Like, you do not have the genetic morphology to look like the mm -hmm. Hulk. There are some. Um, yeah. You know, we'll say that they are very much outliers, and they already know. Like, they already know if they're that type of person. They know that yeah. if they squat once, they look like the Hulk. Like, they already know. Yeah. For the 99% of us... We do not have that capacity, even, even when we want to. And I'll tell you, because I competed in, um, in fitness competitions, uh, one that I competed in uh, is called figure, which is like not bikini, uh, competition. It's not bodybuilding. It's like kind of just in the middle. So they want you to have muscle. Like they want to see, uh, that sculpt physique. They want to see like the presence of muscles and stuff. I was trying to put on muscle. Like I was, I had like the nine plates on the leg press. Like I was trying and it was very difficult for me to do that. So I promise anybody who is like, oh, I don't want to get bulky. I just want to get toned. And I promise you, you cannot get bulky with weights yeah. unless you have already that sort of genetic predisposition that like 99% of us do not have. Yeah. So, so that's I something about that, that, that Sorry. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Awesome. <laughs> no, that's that's something that that a lot of women don't don't really understand, and and we spend years, like you were saying before, like for example, in high school, they would make us play sports all the same, but maybe some women were on their menstrual cycle or they were in their um uh pre previous to their we're experiencing CMS, for example, and they we were always taught that we needed to train the same. I was in the swim team, and there was no excuse. We needed to train with the same intensity, the same level of, well, the same level of intensity as everyone else. Right. And this is something that until I started seeing your account, until I started uh, understanding what the keto and the low carb diet was, and I actually started doing CrossFit, I was like, there were days that I was like, I can't, I just physically, and I mentally know that I'm not ready for this workout. Because right. of course, it's something that you arrive and they tell you, this is what we're doing today. Of course, if you go to the to the gym, you can choose your own workout, but if you're doing CrossFit or if you're doing any type of, of team sport, you kind of just arrive and you have to do whatever they tell you to do. Right. And, and that's something that for me was, was very shocking. And I wanted to, to, to ask you that question, like how should women and why should women maybe to explain to, to the people who are, who are watching or will watch further on, how should we train differently? Like according to our menstrual cycle? Yeah, great question. So I think that, uh, so I, I'll, I'll kind of give you like a high level. I go into like a lot, a lot of detail uh, in the book. So anybody who's listening, if you want the book, please pick it up. You can get it on Amazon, like anywhere, any country. Um, and um, so around fitness, um, again, under the influence of estrogen, like specifically we'll talk about estrogen and testosterone because testosterone is like really famous for, you know, we sort of say, oh, it's like the male hormone, right? Like men have a lot of testosterone. It's like, yeah, they do have a lot of testosterone and they have more than we do. However, we have more testosterone in our bodies as women than we do estrogen. So testosterone is a very important sex hormone for women 
uh, for cognition, as I was mentioning, it's really famous for libido, right? So like testosterone gets it's like, you know, everyone knows that it's like very famous for libido from like a gynecological, um, you know, sexual health uh, perspective. Uh, when your testosterone is higher, you know, your orgasms are stronger, sensitivity of the clitoris is, is, is higher, you know, so testosterone has a lot of uh, positive um, roles in the body from our brain to our body, but from our brain to our, you know, our reproductive system. But specifically, when we are talking about fitness, of course, the more muscle mass you have, the more testosterone you will have in order to maintain that muscle. So as we age, uh, again, very, very important to be lifting heavy weights so that we are putting on muscle weight. Um, and when we think about this over the course of the cycle, over the course of the menstrual cycle, testosterone's kind of uh, almost the same level all the way through, except for in week two. So in week two, so week one is like your bleed week, right? So that's the week where you're on your period, right? And then once you stop bleeding, you are in that week before you ovulate, that pre-ovulatory or week two of your cycle. Here's where we see testosterone come up. We see it, uh, we see it elevate. And that often, like many women, if they're kind of in tune with their body, will say, this is actually the week that my orgasms are stronger, that my receptivity to having sex with a partner is higher. You know, I just, I'm feeling more sprightly, right? Like I'm feeling a little hornier, right? Um, <laughs> so in this week, when we're talking about fitness, I love to... I love to encourage women to be lifting as heavy as they possibly can. So like three to seven reps, like that's kind of it. Uh, you'll probably need a spot um, because the weight, the weight should be heavy enough that you, um, that you cannot do more than let's say five reps or, you know, seven at the most. Um, okay. And the, yeah. So the reason, and the reason why we do that is we're actually trying to break down the muscle, right? So this is what happens when we're lifting all the time, actually, like not just in this week, every single time we're lifting, we want to be lifting heavy enough that we are actually damaging the, the, that contractile tissue so that as it, um, as it grows back, like when it's repairing, it actually grows back bigger. So that's a really great week. That's that pre-ovulatory, let's say, uh, week for um, uh, for lifting very, very heavy. Now, everywhere else in your cycle, I still want you to be lifting, and I still want you to be lifting heavy. But the it's the rep range that changes. So mm -hmm. I'll often say, like in weeks one and three, um, I will uh, I'll have uh, people lift weights like eight to twelve reps, let's say. So instead of that five to seven that we were talking about in week two, now we've moved to a higher rep range, uh, but it still should be really heavy. Like that eight to twelve, like you should not be able to do more than eight if that's what you've set out to do, right? So yeah. still very very one round. Heavy. Yeah. So one set, right? Let's say you're okay. doing like, let's say you're doing squats and I don't know, lunges, let's say you have a super set of those two together. Uh, you should not be able to do more than eight squats and eight lunges uh, with the set weight that you've chosen. Um, mm -hmm. And then in, in week four, uh, which is a, kind of that week right before your um, period begins, your bleed week begins, a lot of women feel very inflamed this week. They feel like bloated. They feel kind of distended. Maybe they're a little emotional, um, all of which are all normal. Um, I still want you to be lifting and lifting heavy, but now the reps are going to increase again. So I really like 
like a 15 to 20 uh, rep range there. So it's lighter, it's, it will be lighter weight by definition, but you're gonna be extending the, the rep ranges there. And the reason for that, of course, is that as you're contracting the muscle, um, every time the muscle contracts, uh, it will release myokines, which are, um, uh, you know, without kind of going down like just a, a you know, a, like a silly nerdy pathway. Um, it's, it's part of the immune system that helps reduce inflammation. So women okay. often feel the most inflamed in that week, that week right before they get their period. So at increasing mm -hmm. those, you know, increasing the release of those myokines is really important there too. Okay. So, so over the cycle, you're still lifting all the way through. It's just, you're modulating the way that you do it, like how heavy those right. weights are and how much uh, reps you're doing uh, per exercise. And that's specifically mm -hmm. for the resistance training piece. For the cardio piece, um, I like cardio. I think, you know, for longevity, for cardiopulmonary function, I think it's really important. What I do find is women do too much of it uh, and they mm -hmm. sacrifice lifting. So I actually like women to be aiming to lift at least three times a week, ideally four, uh, better is five, but like three to five times a week. And then you sort of can sprinkle in the cardio um, elsewhere. So it can be like, it can be, um, you know, it can be whatever uh, cardio machine that you like, if there's like a cardio machine or class that you like to do. Um, but I don't like there to be a lot of high intensity interval training all the time. That's one of the things that I see still so often is women are doing these like crazy, really high intense workouts where their heart rate is like 180, 190, 200. Um, and they're doing that three, four, five times a week. Um, which is again, coming back to hormones is a stressor. So if your body's like, why are we running away from a tiger five times a week? Like this person's life must be in danger. I should probably put on some fat, uh, you know, to, to protect against any wounds or whatever. Right. So I often find that, uh, there's too much cardio being done and then through the cycle as well. Uh, and I outline this in the book for a variety of reasons in that pre ovulatory week, again, when we see testosterone going up, I actually don't like to do uh, high intensity interval training that week either. Um, and that's partially because the ligaments get a little bit looser. Uh, there's more estrogen that week. So the ligaments get a little looser, a little bit more what we call lax, um, to like more loosey goosey. Um, so mm -hmm. we can, we're more prone to injury that week when we're doing like explosive okay. type types of movements. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. that's, that's extremely interesting. I never, I feel like this is something that every, every woman should, should know. Yeah. <laughs> Whether I, I do too. Yeah. Yeah, no, definitely. In whatever part of the hormonal landscape that they're in, they should definitely, uh, yeah, definitely buy your book and, and, and uh, learn about it. So in your book, you talk about, talk about the diet but also you talk about how to work out during correct. the menstrual cycle correct correct okay correct. The body. perfect I, I will leave the i will definitely leave the link for whoever wants to go uh check it out and and maybe to close now on the on on our instagram live um can you give us maybe some some tips of on where to find you yeah, well, you can, uh, you can certainly follow me here. Uh, I have a podcast that I uh, produce every week. It's called Better with Dr. Stephanie. And we have sort of the world's thought leaders in um, discussing a range of, uh, a range of uh, topics. So metabolism and hormones are really big, uh, really big hits on the show. Uh, we also mm -hmm. talk about mindset, soul set, trauma relief. We talk about psychedelics. We talk about better sex. We, you know, I have um, 
we, we just talk about what it means to be a woman in the, you know, in this modern world uh, that is really designed for men. Uh, and, it, you know, that's not a knock on men. Like we love, I love men, you know, we want to love and support and build up our men. But as women, we are not built for the society, like the way that this sort of hierarchy is, is kind of constructed. So yeah. um, my whole goal is to help women really understand how they function and who they are so that they can function in this world. Cause we're not going to like, we're not going to disassemble the hierarchy. We're not going to do anything like that, but we do want to know how we can best adapt to the modern world that we're in and how we can mm -hmm. appropriately respond to our internal environment, which is our hormones and the external environment, which is, you know, life, right? It's like, the kids get sick, parents are aging and, and getting older. Uh, maybe there's a divorce, maybe there's a death of a loved one. Like we have to be able to, um, uh, to respond appropriately um, to the demands of our lives. And the way that we do that first is by taking care of our internal landscape. And then of course we can, we can move that to the external. So, the, so you can find me on the better podcast. Uh, you can find me on Instagram. Uh, where else can you find me? Uh, those are probably mm -hmm. the best, those are the best two play in the book and you okay. can find, you can read the book as well. It's called the Betty body. So those are kind of the three like top places that you can find me. Okay. Amazing. Thank you so much. And thank you so much for, for sharing all this information and putting all this information out there as well. Um, and for being here with us today. We thank really you. Appreciate it. Yeah. It's been a thank pleasure. You so thank much. you for inviting me. Thank you very much. Bye. Have a great day. Bye.